Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Matt Manzer is back on Gear 30, and it seems pretty fitting. I mean, our very first Gear 30 episode of this year, 2022, was with Matt Manzer when I was in Austria. And so now that we are in the last few weeks of 2022, it seemed like this would be a fitting time to get Matt back on Gear 30. And in this conversation, what I really wanted to do was go through the current lineup of Atomic Boots. And as you'll hear me say, largely because I started off with a particular question about the Atomic Backland. And that led me to just think, like, let's just do the line. And of course, as it tends to happen when Matt and I get together on Gear 30, we talk about a few other things like Tom Cruise and sprinting through airports with ski boots. You know, the important stuff. And we also talk a good bit about the compromises that always, always are going to exist among any two products that you're considering. And so we work hard to try to help you understand why you might want to accept a compromise over here, why you might not want to accept a compromise this way. And so in addition to getting clear on the 2223 Atomic boot lineup, I think we're going to be able to help you figure out your own priorities when it comes to ski boots. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Powder 7. Powder 7 carries more than 100 brands of skis, bindings, boots, apparel, touring gear, accessories, etc. And they also carry atomic ski boots. Interesting. So that probably makes Matt happy. And one of the things that makes us particularly happy here at Blister is that Powder 7 offers a ski trade-in program that allows you to trade in your skis to save money on new gear. How cool is that? They also carry a wide selection of used demo skis, which helps people get ski setups at a great price. So all that is to say that Powder 7 has an extensive inventory of current and past year inventory, including deep discounts on previous year skis. So go pay them a visit the next time you are in Golden, Colorado, or shop online at powder7.com. That's powder, then the number 7.com. Now, just one more thing before we get started here, I want to remind you all about our upcoming Blister Summit, which takes place right here in Mount Crested Butte, and the dates for our third Blister Summit are February 12th through the 16th, and we will include a link for more information about the Blister Summit in the show notes of this episode, but the very smart play here is to become a Blister member, because then... You sign up for the Blister Summit and you get a discount on the Summit registration fee. And then come hang out with us in Mount Crested Butte where you will be able to demo a ton of amazing gear from some of your favorite manufacturers. You will be able to go ride chairlifts and ski with our Blister reviewers and a bunch of product designers that you've heard right here on Gear 30 and a number of pro athletes 
including Hoji and Chris Davenport and... We're going to be making some other announcements pretty soon here about some other folks who will be at the summit. So so seriously, folks, I am pretty ready to promise you that if you come to the summit, it will end up being one of the most memorable weeks of your entire ski season. And actually, from what some people were saying last year, maybe one of the most memorable experiences of your whole freaking life. I swear, that's what people were saying last year. And we think this year is going to be even better. So check out the link in the show note to this episode for the Blister Summit, or you can go to the navigation bar on our website where it says Blister Summit, and you will find a ton of information about this third Blister Summit. So check it out. Come hang out with us. Come get on snow with us. It'll be a good time. And with that, it is now time once again to talk with Matt Manzer. Here we go. All right. Well, Matt Manzer, how are you today and where are you today? Hey, Jonathan. Uh, I am in my apartment in Caprun, Austria, and I'm very excited to be back for uh, another podcast. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been too long. And ironically, our last podcast was conducted in your apartment. In my apartment at like 530 in the morning. Why did we do that at 530 in the morning? Because I think we forgot to do it the night before. It was getting too late. I think you were just too jet-lagged and tired. Oh, you think it was my fault? Most Actually, likely. what I think maybe happened, and it's this is probably true given how foggy our memories seem to be, I think you subjected me to a bunch of scotch tasting, and then it got real late, and then we're like, let's just do this really early the next morning before I was headed back to the States. But then we said, okay, but then I think you were like, but you also have to try this scotch. And then suddenly things just got super late. And then we had to record. That's a heinous time to record podcasts, by the way, 5 a.m. Not easy. Not fun. Yeah. No. But basically what you're saying is you couldn't handle your liquor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. I could live with that. Speaking of scotch. This is a good opportunity to let people know we're about to dive back down the scotch rabbit hole because you are going to be coming on to our crafted podcast to do an amateur hour about scotch. Very amateur hour, deep diving into scotch uh, with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And you gave me a homework assignment. Like I got to go try to track down a bottle of something or other. And you know me, I'm still kind of anti-scotch even even after you kind of got me to recognize that not all scotch is horribly peaty, smoky stuff. And even though like I know that intellectually, I still have a bit of an aversion. So I yeah, I think you just somehow want to be averse yeah. to, to scotch and you're just holding I, on to that. I don't know if it's just I'm a patriotic American. I don't really know, but it's a little it's a little true. So but anyway, you've given me some homework assignments. I'm gonna see what I can if I can track down any of the bottles you were telling me uh I should find. But anyway, yeah, crafted. And I think that conversation will be published over on our crafted podcast. I think that's slated for December 14th. Nice. Nice. But let's talk about the only other thing we talk about when we're not talking about scotch. It's just ski boots. That's it. 
It's a relationship based on scotch, me explaining my aversion to scotch, and then ski boots. Me trying to convince you that, no, you actually like scotch. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's that. ski boots. And then ski boots. And what I thought is that we should probably just do a bit of talk about the current atomic range. There's still a lot going on. You guys keep a lot going on over there. and. I will just say one of the things that I'm most interested in having you talk about is some things going on with the backland boots, but it kind of led me to think like, let's just go ahead and do a bit of an overview and see if we can do a bit of clarification for people. Um, So with that said, let's talk about the current lineup of boots and I will let you start us off wherever you would like to start us off. Cool. Yeah, I think. We've done a bunch of deep dives on some very nerdy topics, but we haven't really done a whole lot of just explaining the range to somebody, mm-hmm. right? So we've got, if you were to open up our dealer catalog or go onto our website, it's got to be around 110 to 115 models of ski boots, right? Everything from World Cup race to touring to kids, we cover. So it's a pretty big range. 110 to 115 different boots before you get into like special makeups for bigger buying groups and Mm -hmm. things like intersport in europe it's it's Mm -hmm. not so common in the states but um in europe it's pretty common for these larger buying groups to have their own colorway or their own model um to kind of distinguish them from the other shop in the down the street right and so you add in all of those and it's even a bigger range all in what so, if you factor in the all white or like white translucent boot that i've the, asked the been white asking translucent for? boot that you want to make yeah well that'll push us into like probably 140 models or something okay i'm still mm-hmm. here still still <laughs> patient haven't forgotten okay that's a lot of boots and when i start my own ski boot company i'm just going we're gonna have four models that's cool. it. And then the, that should, the, that should help pay off the, the mold cost that you right? just launched. And easily. the messaging yeah. is just going to be like, it's going to be like back to simplicity. And then everybody just has to just shove their feet <laughs> into one of four models. And if they don't really fit or if it's like, this really hurts, it's like, then we just like gaslight them. And it's like, <laughs> you just need to be tougher no, and actually the problem. <laughs> yeah, you're the problem and you need to love skiing more. That's right. We're just going to gaslight people into submission. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, um, but until that day Sean comes, doing that, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like you said, if we had four models of boots, you're going to make a certain type of foot happy and a certain body type happy. But then 90% of the population is going to go, well, where are my boots? What do you got for me? And so when you start to add up, you know, you make three different lasts in racing. So you've got pretty narrow, super narrow, and super, super narrow. And then you've got regular narrow, mediums, wides. You want to put walk modes on those boots. You want to have flex ranges from 70, like a super soft flexing boot, all the way up to 130. You start to see this this kind of grid that you've made in terms of narrow, medium, wide, soft, medium, hard. It gets pretty big. And that's kind of how you start out trying to make a simplistic range of four models. 
But when you start to cover the needs of different foot shapes, the needs of different body types, things get really big really quickly. So that's kind of like what we're hoping to do today is just walk somebody through um, the atomic range and just see what boot is for what person and what skier type and body type, things like that. Good mission and a good project. So where are we starting? Yeah. Um, Well, I guess if we started at the narrower side of the spectrum in our Redster world, this is something that definitely caters to either having a narrow foot shape or the desire to have your boot worked on so that it fits you and you have a high performance boot at the end of that, right? So somebody tends to go into the Redster world because they either have a very narrow foot and everything else is too wide, or they're going at it for the high performance characteristics that this boot has, and they're going to make the boot fit their foot. Knowing that process usually isn't super quick, usually isn't easy. It involves some revisits to your your favorite boot fitter to kind of work out the tweaks. But the end result is to have a boot that always fits you really well, but your performance goals are super high. And that's why you would generally start into the, the Red Star world. And the primary boot that we'd be most likely to talk about is the Red Star Club Sport or the Red Star CS. And this is a boot that at one point shared the same outer mold with a World Cup boot that we had, but it used a wider last on the inside. And when I say wider, it's in size 26, a 96 millimeter four foot width. So it's not exactly the most spacious thing there, but in comparison to a 92 millimeter World Cup fit, mm-hmm. there definitely is more space around the boot and around the foot. And this is the kind of go-to choice for almost everybody who seemingly works at Atomic over here in Austria. Um, it's my personal boot. A lot of ski instructors love this boot. Um, almost every one of our free ride world tour athletes is in this boot. So it has like a very wide bandwidth of, of kind of who it caters to. So everything, everything from you just happen to have a really skinny, narrow foot and nothing else works to, I have an X racing background and I really want a high performance boot, but I don't want to spend all the time at a boot fitter that will need to just make a world cup boot work for my foot. Yeah, so people usually have an eye on performance uh, that want a lot of stability, a lot of damping, a lot of suspension to their boot, typically gravitate to a boot or gravitate to the Redster CS in our world. Well, that's really weird because I hate damping and good suspension in a ski boot, but um, I guess somebody out there, I guess that might be their thing. There's a home for that somewhere, (laughs) probably. Someone somewhere likes that, likes those characteristics. So the Redster CS, um, very red boot, if you haven't figured that out by the name, very much looks like um, the boots we use on World Cup. So there's definitely a some heritage here with Atomic and racing. And this tends to be a boot that people gravitate to um, when they grab the Redster you know, G9 skis. They want to look the part and just have an all-pieced you know, kind of setup. But because of the fit this boot has, because of the, the nature of the thickness of the plastic, how damp it is, how powerful it is, you know, if you're thinking 
okay, I'm skiing at speeds. I'm skiing through choppy snow. I need a boot. I need the boot to do a lot of work for me. Otherwise, I get bounced around. This is why you see almost every athlete of ours on the Freeride World Tour gravitate to this. You know, you're skiing fast. You're skiing on big skis. You need the boot to be there and be supportive. Be able to go through a super variable snow conditions at speed on big skis. This is a good solution for those that need set, right? And so you're seeing this kind of weird, um, kind of bipolar esque nature to the Redster CS. On the one hand, it's for people who want all the performance of and look the part of that racer, but also anybody who's skiing fast on big skis through just weird manky snow, this boot just acts like a plow in that regard. And that's why this has just really become uh, at home at both on like super piste oriented skiing, but also at, at the highest levels of free ride. And this has just kind of become that kind of, I don't know, probably sleeper in our range of any of the boots we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the boot that kind of catches the most people off guard. They're like, oh yeah, Atomic, who's probably most likely known for these lighter weight Hawks boots, really does make a high performance, heavier, you know, solution. So if you are looking for something with those characteristics, um, the Redster CS is definitely an item to have on your, your wish list. And I think it is maybe helpful to point out to people too that one of the things that just happens to work for me and I underscore just happens to work for me uh, for the Redster is it is now one of the narrower heel pockets as opposed to like a boot that I loved. And for years you would come on this podcast and be mad at me because the head Raptor was a, my reference boot for years. and. You know, there are now, to be clear, a number of different iterations of like the head Raptor. And there is a, you know, more race oriented, narrower lasted Raptor, and people can explore those. But in the kind of, what do we want to call this? Like, I mean, the club sport, kind of the commercially, what would the term we use for this category of boots? A, a, a Lang RX 130, a head Raptor, a Redster club sport. We're in the, it's not, straight world cup what's yeah, the so like you, you wouldn't see anybody racing world cup on a club sport right right um so this boot whether you call it a commercial race boot or a high performance pieced boot you know yeah. there's lots of ways you can can label this thing so this boot definitely has that racing pedigree racing heritage but not quite a world cup boot you know you mm -hmm. just you're one step down from a, a real deal world cup race boot and what you were just talking about, how how surprised uh, how surprised you were with how tight the heel is, is not surprising to me. So when a lot of brands make this style of boot, that this this type of boot uses the same outer mold as the World Cup boot. Okay, so if you had the World Cup version of this boot sitting on the table from the outside, they measure the same width, right? You can't distinguish the two just when they're sitting on a table. The difference is the inner last that is used. So a, a wider, higher volume last is used on the CS boot. But with us, 
we only adjust the midfoot and the forefoot and the toe box. We keep the rear foot the same between Redster CS and its predecessor, the Redster World Cup. So when I hear you say this boot had the tightest heel of anything in this category, I'm not surprised because usually other brands, when they make this style of boot, they relax the forefoot. They're also making the ankle and the heel wider as well. I just wanted to, as a public service announcement for people who happen to like really tight heel pockets, that is, I think, a point of differentiation of the Rebster Club Sport from the other two boots I named. And some other people, you know, with super fat heels, just kidding. Well, you're going to need some boot work, you know? And I think that's kind of, um, this boot tends to cater itself to more of the traditional types of, of boot fitting. So grinding out the boot, then stretching it to fit your foot. Um, it is compatible with the memory fit, like expansion system that we have, but this boot does lend itself to being ground and stretched because the plastic is so thick, especially in that heel portion of the boot. If this boot, in terms of its shell thickness from the kind of midfoot to the heel, is thicker than our uh, Redster STI boot, so our, our one of our official World Cup boots. But there's a lot of plastic that's in the back half of this boot. So if this heel is too tight or you do need some extra space there, there's a lot of potential to make that uh, exactly the the heel pocket you need, given how much plastic is there to work with. Can I point out one area where the Redster Club Sport is absolutely horrendous? Running through airports. Running through (laughs) airports. Um, With that hanging off your backpack? Actually, it was just after my Austria trip at the start of this year. I went out to Sun Valley and I had to go through the Salt Lake City airport and there was like a gate change and I had like seven minutes to catch a flight, but I was like a 15 to 20 minute walk away from where I needed to be. And so started a, I mean it, a dead sprint carrying the Redster CS. I was drenched in sweat. I, I like they were closing the doors to the gate as I'm like full. I can't run any faster. And I had to be on that dead sprint for like seven minutes. So I'm drenched in sweat. I cannot speak because I can't like breathe. I'm going to pass out. And I was like, you know, sprinting through an airport, it is not the Redster Club Sports strong suit. Well, you're not supposed to wear the boots in the airport. That's your first mistake. Well, I was carrying them. And they were heavy, and I couldn't get the kind of arm action I needed for a sprint. Is really, really sure. miserable. I'm having like flashbacks. Like I'm gonna start sweating now. It's like PTSD. But um, so there's that. So if you have to dead sprint through airports, this might not be the boot for you. It's a boot you train with to do that, right? Oh, like I should do sprints up and down my street. Yeah, exactly. With, okay. I just we're keeping it real for the people, and you know, pros and cons to everything. Hey, this. As you're going to hear us talk about every gear choice we're going to have here, or every boot choice, every gear choice, is a discussion of compromise. And that's okay. It's just about being honest with what compromises you want to live with and where you want the boot to shine, right? So, sure, it may not be the best boot for sprinting through an airport, 
but I don't think that's high on the needs list of why you pick a Redster CS. So we we should be able to live with that compromise, I okay. think. Okay. Where do you want to go from here? Well, with Redster CS, because it does have a lot of that racing heritage built into it, it's a solid-sold boot. So what I mean by that is there it, it does not have a replaceable grip pad system the way a Hawks Ultra would, for example. So one of the things we've done over the last couple of years and working especially with our freeride world tour athletes is developing a dual component lifter that gets attached to the bottom of the boot um, that is made of the same materials that our grip walk pads are. So there's a really soft uh, high traction component and then the harder section for the AFDs. And so this is, I think one of the things we did for your Redster CS, um, we installed these lifters. And this is going to add, one, uh, a component of just replaceability. So if you're walking a lot in a solid-soled boot, you typically have to be very careful because if you walk too much in it, it no longer follows um, the alpine norm. So you're not going to be able to fit it into bindings correctly. So when the pads wear out, as opposed, so you have the pads wear out instead of the sole itself wearing out. So one, that's good. And two, just more traction and more grip for walking around. So if you wanted to add some all mountainness uh, to your Redster CS, there are special dual component lifters that we make that get screwed onto the bottom. And I'm calling them lifters instead of grip pads because they do add six millimeters of height to the toe and the heel that would have to be now removed from the tops of the toe and heel lugs. So if you do get a Redster CS and you want to add these dual component lifters to it, the shop you take it to has to have special tools for routering toes and heels, which is normal at every race-oriented shop. But for your average kind of all-mountain store, they might not have um, the tools to do that. What if I'm just trying to make myself a little taller out there and then I just don't shave off? Well, the tallness that you're gaining is still the same. You're going to get boosted six millimeters but you won't be able to click into your bindings. So the height's added to the bottom of the boot. So you're going to get the height. Now you have to just make sure that that additional six millimeters is accounted for so you can fit it into a, a ski binding. I just wanted to make clear, because Tom Cruise might be listening to this, and I always hear these stories about how like he lifts his shoes. Hey, man. Nothing wrong with want to be a little bit taller. All right. We love Tom Cruise. Top Gun Maverick. Have you seen Top Gun Maverick? I have, finally. Just, I think within the last, yeah, in October, I saw it for the first time. Yeah. That's not movie ever. easy to, to, get, to get movies over here in Austria. Hmm. They're like available for like a week in theaters and they're gone. We're going to be talking about it again on uh, our next Reviewing the News with Cody. Because I watched again? it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, again. So, yeah, I have more thoughts. Okay, so lifters, you get the height advantage, but you need to do some grinding if you actually want to click into a ski boot. Correct. Got yeah. it. We also make um, shock-absorbing boot boards mm-hmm. for almost all of our boots now, including Redster CS. So again, you take out the hard, like the super hard foam boot board that's in there, and the inside goes like this rubberized version. Again, adding a bit more damping, a bit more shock absorption to the boot. So there's ways you can you can turn your 
very much race-oriented Redster CS into like an all-mountain weapon relatively easily. I don't know. I feel like I should say too, though, in my experience, having skied the Redster CS stock and then having these mods made, it didn't like transform the boot for me in the sense where like I wasn't previously like, oh my God, I will never ski this boot off piste, like in screwed up, wild, weird Crested Butte moguls or something. So just to try to help orient people, I think, so I think what we're describing and you can see if you disagree with me, we're, we're really fine tuning at this point, not like transforming a boot into something completely different. Agree or disagree? Uh, when you're clicked into your skis, you're not going to notice a difference with the dual component lifter. It's when you have like your skis over your shoulder or on a backpack and you're hiking, boot packing around being on a solid sole boot. It can get pretty slippery. Yeah, so no, no. Adding, I agree with that. that. That grippiness is where it's going to help. I agree with that, but you were just yeah. saying that you were like, so this is where you can make it more these these tweaks, these mods, more free ride oriented, and certainly, like, yeah, the the lifters, you do get more traction. Probably also helpful if you are in fact wearing your ski boots in the airport and sprinting. Would help. Definitely mm-hmm. help. Yeah, but um. But I just don't want people to think that it's like, oh my God, this is the scary ass race boot. And it, I like I can't possibly or I shouldn't possibly think about skiing it off piste unless I do all of these mods. Sure. Okay. You can totally do it, you know. Some um, of us have done it, Matt. Totally. It can it's a, it's a reality. Just yeah, like you said, it's not gonna be game changing. Oh my god, the whole boot feels different. I would say our park athletes would definitely say it's a huge, mm. huge difference going from the hard stock boot board to um, what's called the shock stopper boot yeah. board. That's its official okay. name. Like just the other day, a few weeks ago, we had um, Ariana Tricomi in the office. So ex world champion of the Freeride World Tour. And she's in a size 23 club sport 110. Mm. And she's like, can I please get those boot boards now? Because now she, her knees, if you don't know, she had she blew her ACL, mm. and she's just now back on snow for the first time since her accident, since we made these basically, and she was that's what she was most excited about was mm. to get these new boot boards. Mm. So, if your skis do leave the ground and you're coming back down yeah. onto, especially less than forgiving landings, this kind of stuff definitely helps for sure. Fair point. Where to next? So let's say the Redster CS uh, is a little more boot than you need, or you just don't want to deal with the boot fittings associated even with that boot. The next wider setup, but still considered narrow for us, is the Hawks Ultra. So this is a 98 millimeter boot in size 26, um, based around our Hawks foot shape and Hawks boot geometry. And this is, I think, one of the boots that um, definitely has put us on, on the map. So this is definitely something we're well known for. Basically kind of walking that fine line between having a high degree of foothold, enough of a substantial liner to be comfortable and warm all day, um, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds with this type of setup. You will, again, talking about those compromises, you won't have as high a performing boot as a Redster CS, but pretty dang close. And... Even then, there's some benefits to it over the mm-hmm. CS. 
you know, um, primarily in the type of plastic that we're using in, in a boot like the Hawks Ultra versus what's in a Redster CS. So Redster CS uses, um, I would say, in the World Cup, it's kind of a normal thing to use polyether. So polyurethane, ether-type material. Uh, that's what's in a Redster CS. This is a very damp plastic, very, you know, very smooth flexing, shock absorbing, and very powerful. But it can vary in super warm conditions and super cold. And what I mean by that is in the springtime, the boot gets can get softer. And in the dead of winter at minus 30 degrees, the boot can get crazy stiff. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the downside to polyurethane plastics in general. Hawks Ultra uses a special type of polyurethane that we found working with closely with one of our, our plastic suppliers, where it's still a PU, so polyurethane, but it doesn't stiffen as much in the cold and it doesn't soften as much in the warm spring conditions. So you get kind of this, um, the boot you feel at room temperature is very similar to the boot when it's minus 20 degrees Celsius or positive 20 degrees. So um, we call this our, our true flex material. It behaves in a, a, a pretty big spectrum, um, relatively the same. And that's just going to give somebody a consistent feel, a consistent flex throughout the whole ski season. The only downside to this plastic is that it generally runs a little bit stiffer at room temperature. So putting the boot on, taking the boot off can be a little bit of a a challenge if you don't do it correctly. That was actually a terrific description for pros and cons of the plastics and, and, and all of that tracks in my experience with both boots. And we're going to talk about that in a bit, my experience with the Redster and the Hawks, specifically the Hawks Ultra Professional. Uh, I just want to take a minute to actually compliment you for once. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bask in that glory. This won't happen very often, probably. That's right. That's right. But that's good to, to hash out because um, if you are looking at a Hawks Ultra, a Redster CS isn't far away. Like it's very little boot work for the same foot to kind of go into both of those boots. And I think you've tested both of those as well you know, as a testament to that. So if you are looking into the narrow worlds, you can kind of go one direction with Hawks Ultra or a slightly different direction with Redster CS, depending on what your goals and needs are to get out of your boot. Mm -hmm. Except to muddy the waters, which is what I like to do around here. In fairness, or just in truth, in advertising, my many days in the Hawks Ultra is with the professional liner. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not in the best position right now to talk about like the stock Hawks Ultra versus the Hawks Ultra with that professional liner. I'm in an extremely good position to talk about the Hawks Ultra professional against the Atomic Redster CS. So I may have just ruined our entire podcast, but that's... <laughs> I think you have a professional liner as well, right? For the Redster CS. Yeah. And I haven't been using it. Okay. It's too much boot for you. Yeah. Like I've said, I've said for years, like I don't need or want the stiffest boot out there. Like that is not what I'm going for. 
So I like heavy, it's just like with skis, actually. I tend to like heavy boots and heavy skis, and I like good suspension and good damping, but I'm not looking for the stiffest ski in the world or the stiffest boot in the world. Mm -hmm. Look at me. That's just, I'm just a simple fellow. You're just a middle of the road kind of guy. I guess some people might think the skis or boots I do actually like are still kind of on the stiffer end of things, but like I'm... I'm not just like the stiffest ski is the best one out there or the stiffest boot is the best one out there. Mm -hmm. Well, since you brought it up, uh, maybe we talk about the professional series okay? and what, what that is. So a couple years ago, um, we wanted to just basically, what would it think? Just answer the question of what would it take to just make the best stuff out there? No holds barred, like whatever it costs, it's costs. Let's just, do the do it right from the ground up and this kind of led us in the direction of developing the professional series and this is a our attempt um at just making the best ski boots possible and this takes our existing ski boots like a Redster cs or a hawks ultra and it incorporates our mimic professional liner into this and mimic professional is the result of probably five years of, of R&D work on a liner of just working with our World Cup athletes, working with X Games athletes, World Tour athletes, of trying to find that, that perfect blend of seamless transition from, from foot to ski boot. And the result is this liner that has our heat moldable mimic technology inside of it. And redster foam injection technology that we get from the world cup and we marry these two things together and so this is a liner that is essentially heated in our memory fit oven so it softens um, a bunch of different materials to be heat molded to your foot and leg and while it's warm is injected with liquid pu foam around the foot and this foam fills every gap around the heel, ankle, and midfoot between you and the shell, creating the literally the ideal fit. And what you were talking about is our Hawks Ultra combined with uh, a Mimic Professional liner. And there's also a Mimic Professional liner for all the Redster boots as well. So you've got essentially this liner technology that can go into everything from a 92-millimeter World Cup boot up to a 100 millimeter Hawks Prime and every style of boot in between. So a pretty big swath of, um, of fits that there is a professional liner for. And like you said, um, it makes the boot kind of go to the next level. And I'm hesitant to say it makes the boot stiffer. It does a little bit, but it makes the boot incredibly responsive which in certain combinations can be overkill for what you need to do, right? So if a Redster CS-130, a, a regular Redster CS-130 is borderline kind of on the fence for you in terms of being, this is kind of a lot of boob, not sure I need it. Putting a Mimic Professional liner inside that pushes it now over the, over the line, basically. Things will be really responsive, uh, comfortable. Like it's exactly the, the foam thickness and curvatures of the foot that you need but it's incredibly precise super direct there's no wasted motion 
whatsoever. So any little input you put into it um, goes directly into the boot and then the ski. So it really does make for that kind of next level of performance that you can take to the or bring to the boot. So you've been in the Redster CS 130 Professional and a Hawks 130 Professional. And while they're both, you know, I would say top end boots, they do have different characteristics that will lend themselves to being more appropriate for someone's needs or skiing styles versus the other. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And honestly, like where, where I'm at right now, just personally is the atomic register CS without that professional liner versus the atomic Hawks ultra with the professional liner I spent kind of all last season sort of going back and forth or like when I would travel, which boot am I bringing? It's kind of wild for me at least to say this because I tend to develop very clear preferences. It's almost a toss up for me right now. And I think that Atomics Hawks Ultra with that professional liner is the best fit I've ever had in a ski boot. The Redster, again, now we're just back to talking about my feet. My feet are not your feet, people. That Redster, though, right, is actually coming in slightly shorter stock than the Atomic Hawks. True or false? Uh, effectively true. Yeah. Because that's another thing we did when I was in Austria. We did blow out that toe box on the Redster a little bit to get it closer to the toe box length. So if we're talking sort of more or less stock, so when, after that work, well, now you've, you've taken away another variable of like why I might prefer, like I like the longer toe box in the Hawks Ultra Professional. You can definitely punch or push out the toe box in a Redster. But you're, now for me, you're getting these two boots. I like them both very, very much. Um, and I guess we can right now or later then talk about when I might reach for, there are some clear times when I would reach for one over the other specifically. And Matt already talked about this and this is absolutely checks out in my experience. If it's a really, really hot spring day, I found that that really heavy kind of badass looking and seeming Redster CS would actually soften up more than I would want it to on a really, really warm spring day. And so I don't want to say temperatures right now. I'll let you say temperatures if you want, because I'm skiing at 10,000 feet in Crested Butte and these things can get different. Mm -hmm. But um, that's where I did feel more um, temperature stability out of that Hawks Ultra with the professional liner. Totally. I mean... And you see this if you watch World Cup racing, especially in the springtime or in the springtime, you know, racers before they jump in the starting gate, you know, they're packing snow around their yep. boots. Yep. Like to cool them down. Right. Yep. So, you know, fun fact, our World Cup athletes really prefer how the boots feel at about minus between minus four and minus nine degrees Celsius. Huh. That's like the optimum window where they say the boot feels perfect. And so the goal is to kind of make the boot always feel like that, no matter what the temperature is, right? That would be the, the goal of my R&D team or one of the goals. 
for those of us who really like the film Top Gun Maverick, are you able to convert convert that minus four to nine Celsius into into American? Yeah. So you're looking at about 25 degrees Fahrenheit to 15, 16 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So definitely not below zero. And then you're getting just really cold. Right. And if you're skiing at like, I don't know, April, mostly you're probably skiing in jeans at that point. So I don't know why you're worrying about your boots being too soft. Um, How dare you? How dare you? That those yeah. of us who might choose to ski in jeans in the spring don't also still demand high performance out of our ski boots. I'm in jeans now. Nah. One piece, yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, so you're looking at like what, around 45, maybe 50 degrees on like a super warm, yeah. you know, glacier day kind of thing. You know, and you know, that's things are going to change quite a bit with a traditional PU boot. And things will definitely not be changing that much um, with our true flex material that's found in a Hawks Ultra. Conversely, going to, you know, um, down to zero degrees Fahrenheit, you know, it, it won't be as frozen or as stiff as a traditional PU boot would. The downside that you would experience is that the boot at room temperature feels a little bit stiffer, typically. So that's the compromise that you're going to have with boots that have a more that have more flex stability across a wide variety of temperatures they're going to feel stiffer at room temperature which we should not care about people if you care about that <laughs> you're just wrong and just learn how to put your ski boots on and take them off and it'll be great we've talked about this before so i'm not going to bring it back up and you know blame the vast majority of european skiers for making this an issue we we won't bring that up again but yeah. It's not just Europeans, but um, yeah, easy step in, easy step out is at odds with having a, a high performance 130 flex boot yeah. in general, I would say. Yeah. You have to pick one versus the other. Yeah. Okay. Where are we going next? Um, Hawks Ultra was a boot we redid. So brand new Hawks Ultra came out last season in 21-22. And this was addressing some of the feedback we had of people wish the boot was um, not focused so much on being lightweight, but having you know more stability, um, more skiing performance into it. So last year, the boot, we kept the same fit, but we updated the wall thickness to just be more supportive, especially in the hinge area, like where the cuff meets the shell. You're going to see a bunch of additive material uh, in this zone to resist the bellowing that happens uh, in ski boots when you flex them forward. And this resulted in a basically a 25% reduction in, in bellowing. So the same force applied to the boot from first generation to second generation boots. The new one was just more stable. I'm hesitant to say stiffer. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the right word to use, but there is, it's a much more stable construction um, in the, the current iteration of Hawks Ultra versus its predecessor. And this boot comes uh, into the 22-23 season unchanged. So it's a, a full carryover. So there's no updates in terms of colors, fit, materials, liner technology. Um, everything is the same. And, Cleared. Yep. Yeah. So 
Hawks Ultra is our narrow fit in the Hawks world. If you move into the medium volume, this is a Hawks Prime. This is um, definitely one of the most successful boots that Atomic makes. This is our kind of average fit out of the box for a lot of foot shapes. And again, it's 100 millimeters in a size 26 across the, the ball of the foot. So four foot width is wider than Hawks Ultra. Instep height is, is taller. Ankles are wider. Heel is a little bit wider. It's a true medium volume lower shell with a true medium volume cuff. And this for us um, just represents a nice um, tangible difference from ultra to prime, right? When you put on, when you put on one boot, one will feel too tight. One will feel, you know, at home or one will feel too loose and one will feel just right. So we have a dedicated outer mold for Hawks prime. It's a true medium volume. Um, nothing in it is shared between Hawks ultra in terms of its fit. So it is a true medium volume, uh, in the lower shell as well as the cuff. And in Hawks Prime for this year, uh, every boot gets updated um, in terms of new colors, but also there's some new liner updates that have come out in Hawks Prime this year. And the one of the big learnings, you know, with Mimic Professional coming into the range that has, you know, basically a a stretch toe box in the front of the liner. It's like a neoprene toe box. We kind of took that idea and sought to improve it a little bit. So a stretch toe box is honestly nothing super new in ski boots. Brands have had them forever. They've been in our register boots for a super long time. But what's unique about what's in Hawks Prime, it's called our 3D stretch toe box. It's asymmetrically shaped left and right and very big toe friendly. So normally a neoprene toe box has a very symmetric shape to it. Neoprene, when it's lasted, you get this generic U-shape to the toe box itself. And with the materials that we've selected, um, we're able to actually form this stretch toe box to be left and right specific and very big toe friendly. It is not the biggest game changer in the world, but in terms of just making the fit that much better than the previous generation, it's just moving the needle, uh, moving things forward in the right direction. Say that. So nothing super new in Hawks Prime except the small liner update and some color updates uh, pretty much on everything. Clear. So now we're talking about something new, yeah? Yes. So Hawks Prime is our medium fit. Um, but when we go to our wider fit, Hawks Magna, this is a brand new boot for 22-23. Um, we wanted to keep a lot of the things that was working well for us because Hawks Magna, very successful boot. One of the few boots um, in the world where you get a wide fit, but all of the high-end trimmings that the narrows and medium boots get too. So we're using the same plastics, the same high-end plastics that the Primes and Ultras use, the same Mimic liner technology, um, high-end buckles and power straps. Everything about it is built just like the other boots in the range. Just it happens to be around a higher volume, wider foot shape. So Hawks Magna continues that tradition of having a feature-rich, high-volume boot. But now it's getting this pro-light construction that uh, Hawks Ultra has. So reinforced zones to really beef up 
um, the hinge point area while still keeping an eye on the overall weight of the boot, not making it you know as heavy as a Redster CS. Just so for those people who are running through the airports, they won't be as winded as Jonathan was. Thank God. Yeah. Thank so, God there's Hawks, a solution. <laughs> thank God. So Hawks Magna is the high-volume lower shell, high-volume cuff solution um, in the atomic range. So if you have a very problematically wide foot and you're like, I just, just haven't really been able to work for you, um, definitely give Hawks Magna a look. You're going to get all the high-end goodness that the regular boots have in the Hawks range, just really based on a, a higher volume, wider last. And so it is the kind of the, the last piece in the Hawks puzzle. So you have the same kind of lightweight, powerful technology across all three fits is now checkmarked. Clear. That's my new thing. I just say clear. <laughs> clear. Is that it's just it's like super Top Gun of you? I think. See, we got Top Gun on the yeah. brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rightly so. So this is yeah the what we call the the Hawks trilogy. You've got narrow, medium, wide Hawks Ultra, Hawks Prime, and Hawks Magna. So kind of your more traditional looking Alpine boots, right? What I would call a fixed cuff ski boot, where the cuff is physically mounted to the lower shell, and it does not have any mechanical ability to aid in walking. And if you wanted to have that Hawks fit, but all of the features that are in a classical touring boot, so having a really nice ski walk mechanism, investment cast tech inserts in the toe and heel, a very grippy rubber sole, um, this is what the Hawks extended family is for us. So it's really marrying everything that's good about regular Hawks and bringing over all the cool touring features from our backland boots and kind of smushing them into one. And we have uh, two fits in this family. So we have the Hawks ultra extended for the narrow last and Hawks prime extended in the medium volume. And all of these boots share the same fit with their Alpine counterpart, the same geometry with their Alpine counterpart. So if you were looking to have your touring boot fit and feel as closely as possible to your Alpine boot, this is why we made these. So for anybody that's struggled finding a fit in the touring world that isn't as good as their Alpine boots, this is the solution for that. And this will have the same, again, same last geometry, the same forward lean dimensions. Everything about the boot um, will be the same between Hawks Ultra and Hawks Ultra Extended, and Hawks Prime and Hawks Prime Extended. Uh, new for this year is mainly some color updates. So Hawks Ultra Extended sees no technical uh, changes uh, for the 22-23 season, just some flashy new fun colors. And in Hawks Prime Extended, we update the men's 130 and the women's 115 uh, with a new, new liner update with that 3D stretch toe box. The rest of the Hawks Prime family, the lower end flexes, um, carry over. They're unchanged. Clear. One of the cool things that I definitely forgot to mention um, on Hawks Ultra Extended and Hawks Prime Extended, um, we bring the 130 flex models down to a true 22. Oh, yeah. So for, 
any of those, any of our female listeners who are looking for a ripping legit 130 flex boot that comes down to a true 22, both the ultra extended 130 and the prime extended 130 uh, are available in true 22. And so this would be a good time to ask you, what are some of the differences across the boots that we've been talking about men's versions versus women's? Yeah. So in general, um, there is no difference in the lower shell or the last. So between men's and ladies boots, um, in the same size, for example, so in size 25, you can usually find there's a men's option and a women's option, at least in that Mondo point size, the lower shell is identical. There's no differences between the two. Women's feet come in just as many varieties in terms of shapes, widths, high volume, low volume as men's feet do. Especially when you look at, you know, what I look at as a global population. So not just like North America or Crested Butte. Um, if you looked at women's feet from East Coast to West Coast to Europe to Scandinavia to Japan, you're going to see everything under the sun. So from super narrow, low volume to really wide, high volume and everything in between. So in my experience, there is really no such thing as a woman's foot shape. But there are differences in terms of lower leg structure, in terms of calf muscle placement. Generally speaking, women's calf muscles are positioned a little bit lower and they can be a little bit more uh, rounder or wider than a guy's calf muscle in the same mondo point size. And that is reflected in our liner constructions and in the cuff construction itself. So with our women's boots, you're going to get the same lower shell that the guys shares, but the cuff is going to be completely unique. And it's 15 millimeters lower in height in the rear, and it has more tulip shaping. So it's a little bit more rounder, more open um, around the top. And this is just to accommodate that, that calf muscle that generally sits in the lower position. And so on all of the women's models, you see this um, lower cuff height with more tulip shaping and a liner that reflects that as well. And for a lot of people, this is super applicable, super helpful. But for some women, you may not need that extra volume that's in the cuff, right? If you have a very skinny leg without that calf muscle placement, you may actually benefit from a more a unisex boot in the same size that has a narrower, less tulip-shaped cuff. So when it comes to selecting the boots here, uh, in general, just as some fit advice for any any listeners, treat yourself as an individual and find the boot that matches your physiology, your biomechanics. So that could be for some men, you're going to be in a women's boot. If you have a lower leg, like a shorter lower leg with a big calf muscle, you may find that a women's model fits you a lot better. And if you're like my girlfriend, who's got a very long lower leg with a very skinny calf muscle, she's actually better suited for a unisex boot in that same size. So the takeaway is just match the boot to your physiology yep. as best you can. Yep. That's always going to be um, a, the best way to approach which boot is right for me and what starting point 
you should be in. It's great advice. We'll continue to bang that drum of don't get hung up on men's, women's, unisex, whatever, whether it comes to skis or boots. There's a lot of good options out there. I think more yeah, than good ever. That these options exist, yeah. right? Like, I don't think we'd ever want to make a purely unisex range where it was the, the same build for men and women. Um, that would be a disservice. But that there are lower cuff options that are more tulip-shaped and there are higher cuff options that are a little bit less tulip-shaped mm-hmm. um, is good to be aware of. Yep. And if you are in that, in that space within the size run, you know, typically it's 24, 25, 26, 27, where our women's boots and men's boots overlap. Just keep that in the back of your mind of perhaps something on either the unisex side or on the uh, women's side could be of, of help to you. And so for the perhaps fewer amount of people out there, like our own Sasha Anastas, who are in a size 22 or 23 boot, but don't actually want that short cuff. They like a taller cuff. Talk about the best options for them from your point of view. It's getting a little tricky because I have to know kind of what liner we're using. But let's just say she gets a Mimic Professional liner um, for her Hawks Ultra, and she would like it to feel taller right? Usually it's not so much the cuff that feels short. It's kind of the liner, right? If the liner were taller, especially mm-hmm. on the shin, yeah, it might solve what she's, it might address what she's looking for. So with a boot like the Mimic or a liner like the Mimic Professional that has a removable tongue, along with our our special tongue system called the V3 tongue system, where you can kind of pick your thickness of tongue that you want. Um, she could put in a size 24 tongue, right? And get a little bit extra height in the front of the boot without, you know, changing anything else too drastically. So that would make, it'd be much more supportive, um, probably where she's looking to have it, which is in the front when she's flexing forward. You know, it wouldn't be a huge difference but you're looking at probably 10 millimeters of height, which, mm-hmm. you know, can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So there's Got it. some things that, that can be done to, to add some height, um, while still having the existing cuff on the boot. Then you can get into also different types of spoilers that can be mounted either to the cuff or the rear of the liner, just to kind of help support things a little bit more. So it just kind of depends, but they're, are some solutions that could help her out for sure. And I I mean, I just use her as an example of a person with a short foot, right? So skis a size 22, 23 boot, but likes a taller cuff. But I should say she's currently skiing an Atomic Hawks Ultra, having gone through and tried on a ton of different boots. And again, for what it's worth, that is currently the boot that she's pretty into and it's working well for her. So right on. Yeah. All right. Last boot to talk about backland. What do you got? Yeah. This is ironically the thing that I wanted to actually talk to you about for clarification and (laughs) you know, but uh, so this has been an hour plus run up to this moment, folks. 
So yeah, Backland, we launched a new generation of Backland, I believe in the 1920 season. Uh, so 2019, 2020. Um, it got an update. We went to a new mold construction where things got a little bit beefier. We integrated BOA into the lower shell. And we got the feedback from some of our testers that they were like, well, some of our wishes, hopes, and dreams to, were to have a little bit lighter weight backland than it currently was. And then some people were like, well, actually, I want a little bit beefier backland. Um, you know, still using the same kind of, you know, footprint, the same mold series. And so for 22-23, we make backland kind of go in two directions. So using the same mold series, we made a little bit lighter weight backland called Backland UL. And this is, again, a little bit lighter, a little more uphill oriented. It's going to keep the BOA shell closure system and use this kind of buckle power strap combo on the cuff. So going to offer a little bit weight, a lighter weight setup and have quicker transition time between uh, ski and tour. So for those people who want Backland to be a little bit more efficient on the way up than it currently is, we made a setup called the Backland UL. And for those skiers who want more foothold, um, a little bit more confidence-inspiring fit, especially for descending, the new Backland Carbon, the new Backland Pro, get a an updated shell closure system. So we move away from BOA, and there's kind of this zigzaggy cable and buckle closure system that we call Crosslace that comes back to Backland that can more powerfully close a carbon-loaded polyamide shell. So the plastic that Backland uses is incredibly stiff. And to generate enough closing force to get that to wrap the foot properly, um, we move to a cable and buckle solution for the regular Backland family. And we take the opportunity to also beef up the liner so there's a much more secure fit. Um, in the Backland series of liners. And this retains the traditional cuff buckle and separate power strap combo. So you're still looking at about 1,100 grams or closer to 1,200 grams with Backland Carbon. And you're just over 1,000 grams with Backland UL. So they're still you know, targeting that kind of lighter weight category of touring. They're still pin binding specific, but Backland Carbon just gets a little more foothold, a little bit more confidence-inspiring fit because of the shell closure system that we've got, and Backland UL goes a little bit more uphill-oriented, a little bit more on a diet, and retains the BOA shell closure system because it's a little bit lighter weight and just quicker to use. And then most importantly to note, when you are sprinting through an airport, whether you're holding the boots or wearing the boots, backland is where you want to be out of the boots we've it's discussed. It's a win today. for both setups, yeah. So right. if you're wearing the boots, it's definitely going to help sprinting in a backland yeah. Yeah. versus a rester, yeah. hands down. Yeah. yeah, so I think that should be like our new... like in our blister spectrum 
categories that we have in the buyer's guide, we need to How add well does the boots sprint? sprint through airports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think we've been letting the people by not clarifying this for everyone. So I mean, it's the one thing you guys haven't talked about in a boot <laughs> review. There's, There's always room to improve. Question Matt mark. Yeah. It's been this like, but not on everybody's mind. Why aren't you doing this yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should make Luke head those up. That part right. of the test. The, the airport sprint reviews. Okay. I'll let Luke know. He hit me up today and was like, man, I just, I don't have that much on my plate. Do you got anything else I can do around here? So, um, we just, you're going to fly found- to different airports, stay in the airport and just to sprint through them. <laughs> yeah. And actually we'll make him like, if he lands with enough time before meeting a connecting flight, he has to stay like at the gate, <laughs> like, cause we need the real world stress yeah, and real, the real world. world sprint. Yeah. And, and yep. fear. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Those things are important elements. Well, Hey man, I think our work here is done actually. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, we had Tom Cruise talk airport running some good top gun Maverick talk. Not too many some tangents thrown in. You know, we actually oh, yeah, we did talk about pretty boots. focused. Yeah, yeah we, this is one of our more focused conversations, yeah. I think. See what happens when we stay on track? We get done in like a little bit over an hour instead of <laughs> three. Four. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was good. Like I said, I mostly was like, I think we should talk about Backland because I was confused and then we went through the whole line. And I, if people if people are unclear now, that is not your fault or my fault. It's just <laughs> their fault. Uh, we like to always be clear, like place blame in the right places, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so it's well, on you. One, now, we like to blame. We like to blame for sure. Yeah, first. But if you're going to blame, make sure you direct it in the right direction. So it's yeah. important. I'm going to let you get going since it's, wow, it's actually almost 11.30 p.m. out there in Austria, but I'll let you get going for now. We'll be talking again soon about Scotch on our Crafted podcast, so um, we'll be recording Super that soon. Hour. For amateur hour. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're up for amateur hour, and then I've got to go try to find a couple bottles of Scotch that you said I ought to be drinking during the recording of that crafted amateur hour conversation. So I've got my assignments. Yeah. It's going to get loose. It's going to be, uh, I think it's one of the better ones we're going to have here. You're predicting, you're predicting predicting. our next conversation is going to be one of our better. Okay. All right. This is kind of a bore drying slog through the range of atomic boots (laughs) this time around. And so next week we're going to be off the hook (laughs) getting real amateur. Today was professional. Next time. Professional talk on ski boots. Yeah. Next week, we're going to be amateur, full on, talking yeah. about scotch whiskey in incredible detail. Okay. Um, I believe you. Well, hey, always a pleasure. Get some sleep and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be on the podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Well, it is now time for our What We're Celebrating segment. And you know, this has been what feels like a long time coming. And what I have in my hand is an incredible beer that I am very proud of. This is a beer called Ambulation from New Image Brewing, and it features the artwork that we had commissioned for our first Blister Artist series. And I've got to say, the artwork on this can is 
absolutely gorgeous. And if you like, you can also head to the Blister website and order a shirt with Crested Butte artist John Fellow's gorgeous art that he made specifically for this Blister Artist series. So some very cool stuff happening around here. Now, back to the beer itself. And you know what? I'm going to break some news here. I actually named this beer. Brandon Caps, the founder of New Image, was hitting me up and asking me about names. And I proposed Ambulation. And we won't go into why exactly, but, you know, check it out. Look up the definition. And I thought Ambulation would work well to pair with John Fellows's art. So that's what we have here. And this is a double IPA. It is an 8% ABV. And it's delicious. So I don't know. I might need to get Brandon back on our Crafted podcast for us to talk a bit. And I'd like to have him talk a bit about how Ambulation is different from some of New Image's other double IPAs. And we'll see if I agree with Brandon on that. But we're really proud of this. John did an amazing job on the art. Brandon and the crew at New Image did an incredible job on the beer. And we also think that the shirts that you can get at Blister look freaking great too. So this is a limited edition run of New Image beer. The shirts are limited edition. So if you're interested, hurry up, folks. The beer, by the way, you can find at New Image's two tap rooms in Wheat Ridge and Arvada to get it there. It's also going to be appearing in most major adult beverage stores. So if you don't make it to Wheat Ridge or Arvada, maybe you'll get lucky and find it in a shop. And if you do, send us a picture. I want to see these things out in the wild. So anyway, that is what I've currently got in my hand. Now, in terms of what we're celebrating, honestly, to me, this is one of the most important things that we have ever done in the history of Blister. I've kind of hinted at this a bit, but on Friday, December 2nd, we are rolling out a new Blister membership that includes spot insurance. And this is something that I seriously think that every single person ought to have this coverage because the fact is we all end up getting hurt doing these activities that we love so much, whether it's skiing or snowboarding or mountain biking or gravel biking or trail running or climbing. And with this specific Blister Plus Spot Accident Insurance, we have put together effectively a custom package so that for an extremely reasonable price, when we or anybody in our crew gets hurt, you aren't going to get financially screwed with super high deductibles or you're no longer going to have to do the thing of like, I can't actually afford to go to the emergency room or get in this ambulance. And I have my own serious personal experience on that front. So we are going to be talking a whole lot more about this new Blister membership that includes spot accident insurance. And if you have ever, ever listened to me about anything, please listen to me about this because I know that if we can get, well, everyone in the Blister community on this coverage, 
it is literally going to change lives for the better and save you a ton of money in the process. So we'll be saying a whole lot more about this on the website and on future podcasts. But this is something that we have been working on for a very long time. And while we take a lot of pride in giving you all very honest assessments about gear to help get you in the right gear to help you have a great time in the mountains, well, now with this that we've been able to put together, we can also make sure that when you happen to wreck you don't get financially wrecked in the process. And this, I think, is a major thing that every single one of us who loves to go do all this kind of fun stuff in the mountains, well, this is just an extremely smart thing to add. So anyway, that's that. And more to come on that front, including probably a newsletter that we'll be sending out Saturday morning, December 3rd, with more information and details there. Please read it. Please sign up before you go get on the mountain. This is one, as you'll be hearing from my own personal experience later, you don't want to wait on this and then go get wrecked and not have this coverage. So please, please, please listen to me on this front. And don't end up with a $9,000 or $10,000 or $20,000 medical bill when you could have just gotten this new membership and then instead paid $0 instead of $9,000 or $10,000 or $20,000, okay? All right, thanks, everybody. And thanks also to Matt Manzer for another fun conversation. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and from the entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.